You're listening to the RUF at Western Carolina University podcast. RUF is a campus ministry that exists to reach students for Christ and to equip them to serve Christ, His church, and His world. For more information, follow us on Instagram. We're at RUFATWCU or look us up online at www.ruf.org. Thanks for listening. All right, so we are continuing our series on dating, or series on relationship, and little two-week mini-series on dating. Um, thanks for coming back if you were here last week, and we're like, what is he talking about? Um, we're going to talk about it some more, um, but just like to review a little bit, um, the uh, I've named this one um, Mr. Perfectly Fine. Not because that's who you should be looking for, right? Um, because that's not what the song is about. Uh, a reading from the book of Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> Mr. Perfect Face, Mr. Here to Stay, Mr. Looked Me in the Eye and Told Me You Would Never Go Away. Everything was right. Mr. I've Been Waiting for You All My Life. Mr. Every Single Day Until the End, I Will Be By Your Side. But that was when I got to know Mr. Change of Heart. Mr. Leaves Me All Alone, I Fall Apart. It takes everything in me just to get up each day, but it's wonderful to see that you're okay. And the chorus, hello, Mr. Perfectly Fine. How's your heart? After breaking mine. Mr. Always at the right place at the right time. Baby. Hello. (laughs) Right? It's just thrown in there. Um, Mr. Casually Cruel. Mr. Everything revolves around you. I've been Miss Misery since your goodbye, and you're Mr. Perfectly Fine. Uh, I, I like that because, it, yeah, it snaps, yeah, because it kind of sums up the confusion and frustration and hurt that can come with dating, right? You've got all these expectations and all these promises that are made, um, but there's no weight behind them, and so there's like heartbreak and hurt on the backside of it, um, and, and we're going to continue that conversation, but like hopefully this week can present a different way to date, um, So, again, we are in the territory of wisdom. There's no passage in the Bible that's like, this is how you should date. Um, There's no thus saith the Lord on this. So you are free to disagree. Uh, I will probably say some things tonight where you're like, I don't like the way that feels. Um, That's fine. We can talk about it later. Uh, We're doing a question and answer afterward if you want to stick around and ask some questions about dating. But just quick review of last week. Um, I kind of presented this definition of dating And by that, I mean, like, somebody you've been on multiple dates with, right? Like, you're getting to know each other, um, not just like you're going on one date. Um, But the definition of dating is two friends trying to figure out if they should get married, right? A longer-term relationship that's been going on dates for a while. That the purpose of dating is to move us from this category of friends who are single to friends who are married to each other, right? And dating is the mechanism we have to answer that question. But dating breaks down when we load... Um, marriage-sized expectations onto dating-sized commitment. Uh, I gave the illustration of me asking my four-year-old daughter to swim in the pool underneath the diving board and catch me when I do a cannonball, right? I'm going to crush her. Because in, in, in dating-sized commitment, which I said was no commitment, um, which a little bit of clarification there, I, I think many of you, maybe all of you, when you heard me say dating is a relationship without commitment, Um, you heard me say dating is a relationship where like you don't have to care about the other person or like they're not important to you or anything like that. Um, I'm a five, I'm an engineer. Uh, and so I'm like thinking of the dictionary definition of commitment, right? Where there are like 
vows and social structures and like repercussions for, for ending a relationship, right? But there aren't any of those in dating, right? The promise of dating is me and you for now until we get married or my feelings change or your feelings change, right? There's, there's no security in that relationship that's inherent to the relationship. And so it's fragile, right? And it's temporary and that's uncomfortable, which leads us to import things from a permanent relationship, marriage, into dating, right? Expectations that I have a right to your time, uh, that I deserve your attention, that I have a right to your body. In short, we make our dating relationships into many marriages, which make breakups feel like many divorces, right? Which is what the rest of Taylor Swift songs are about. Bad blood, we are never ever getting back together again. All of these things, just you know, do a random shuffle of her discography and you'll hear plenty of breakup songs. Uh, and then we talked about um, how Jesus frees us to date, not from a place of fear, but from a place of rest in him, uh, a place of acceptance, uh, a place of um, just welcome in him that frees us to date. First John 4:18 says, "There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear." And because we've received Christ's perfect love, because we've received all that we need in him, uh, then that frees us to like actually love other people selflessly. That frees us to enjoy dating and not need it to complete us or fulfill us or load it with so much pressure uh, that crushes it. Um, this week, what I want to do is like continue that train of thought, but talk a little bit about like what might this look like in practice, right? If you were resting in Jesus's love for you, how would that manifest itself in your dating life, right? If you really believe that in Jesus you had all that you needed, how would that show up in the way that you interact with people that you date with? Uh, to do that, I want to look at a passage from Galatians 5, um, Fruit of the Spirit and the Works of the Flesh. We actually did a sermon on this back in the fall uh, in our series on Galatians, but I don't think I mentioned dating uh, in that one, so I want to read this and then just apply it to our dating lives tonight. Uh, first, or Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other. By flesh, Paul doesn't mean like our physical bodies. He means our sinful nature, our brokenness, our propensity towards rebellion against God. Um, they're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that it reveals to us about who you are, who we are, and what you've done to bring us back to yourself. I pray that as we consider this passage tonight, uh, especially consider how it might show up in our dating lives, uh, that you would call us to character, call us to God-likeness, um, call us to Christ-likeness. Father, I pray that you would help uh, these students um, to not be fearful in dating, um, but to date in a way that's shaped by love uh, and following after you. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> All right, so again, working definition of dating, two friends trying to figure out if they should get married. Uh, and two quick thoughts with that before we jump to Galatians 5. Um, 
The first, just kind of a practical, like, to me it's common sense, right? Uh, if dating is the vehicle from, from going from friends who are single to friends for, who are married, um, how are you going to know if you want to get married if you don't go on a date, right? As my friend Sammy Rhodes says, uh, he's a campus minister at Carolina, South Carolina, um, bad dates are good dates, right? You should go on bad dates, he tells his students. Uh, when Trish and I went on our first date in January of 2012, um, that weekend, uh, she had two other dates that were with people that weren't me. Um, she was at a place in her life where she was just like frustrated with the whole dating thing and like trying to navigate and figure it out. And so she's like, I'm just going to say yes to everybody. And that's the window that Andrew Shank squeezed into. Uh, and she said yes. Uh, and I had also gone on lots of dates previous to that. Um, my dad gave me the advice one time uh, about finding a job after college. He said, Andrew, you need to apply for jobs and take interviews for jobs that you know you probably don't want, just so that like when that perfect job does come along, um, you don't like blow the interview because you've never done it before. And then he said, it's like, and that's kind of true with dating too, right? Go on bad dates, because if you go on bad dates, then like when you have a good date, you know what it is, right? And you know what to do. Uh, Trish and I dated for... Let's see, we met in January, she dated somebody else for two weeks, and then said, it's like, mm, that was a mistake, can we go out again? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Um, and we dated until June when we got engaged, and then we got married in September. Um, so if you're doing the math, nine months from first date to marriage, um, which is not that short outside of college, right? And because we had both been on so many dates, like when we found each other, we were like, yep, this, like, let's fast track this. Um, yeah. Go on bad dates. How do you know if you don't go? Uh, but also, like, maybe to swing the pendulum back the other way, uh, if dating is two friends trying to figure out if they should get married, and you know that, like, marriage is five years away from you, like, at a minimum, maybe don't date yet, right? At least not, like, a long-term dating uh, relationship. Um, probably most of you have been to the doctor at some point in your life. Uh, and if you go as an adult... Um, what happens is, you know, you've got your 11 o'clock appointment to go get, you know, uh, your yearly physical or whatever it is. And so you show up at 11 o'clock, you go and you check in, and the person there hands you a bunch of paperwork to fill out. You go, sit down, you fill out the paperwork, and then at about like 11.10 or so, they call you and say, hey, we're ready for you. And then you go to a different room where like a nurse comes in and takes your weight and, and your height and like measures your pulse and all those things. And then you wait a little bit more, and then the doctor comes in at like 11.30, right? What if you showed up to the doctors at like 10.15 for your 11 o'clock appointment? You'd walk up to the window, they would give you your paperwork, you'd fill it out and return it, and then still at 11.10 or 11.15, they would call you back to the room, right? Showing up early to a doctor's appointment doesn't mean you see the doctor early because you're on their schedule, they're not on your schedule. Dating, when marriage is like not in the question, is like, sitting in the waiting room watching Zootopia on repeat for years, right? It's, it's, a, it's a limbo state, right? It's, it's a temporary relationship that's supposed to drive you to answer the question, either we need to break up or we should get married. And once you've answered that question, like continuing in the dating relationship, whatever the answer is, is really frustrating. Um, and so like, Serious dating is for serious people. So if you're not serious about marriage anytime soon, like stay away from serious dating. Again, not in the Bible, 
Andrew Shank's opinion on dating, you're free to disagree. But say you are dating somebody, or that you're ready to get out there, or there's somebody that you just really, really like, and you can't help it, you have to start dating now. What should that look like? Uh, if not a mini-marriage, then what other option do we have for the way that we date? And I think this is where Galatians 5 has a lot to say to us. Because uh, Galatians 5 gives two lists, right? The works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are a description of a life lived uh, away from God, right? Rejecting him and heading away from him. The fruit of the Spirit are a description of the character of a person who is walking with God, walking towards God. And so what would dating look like if instead of being motivated by fear, you were pursuing godly character? We don't have time to look at them all, but let's start with the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, First, in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, okay? In the Bible, love is most often equated with dying to yourself, selflessness, self-sacrifice, putting others first, right? You read 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's chapter about love. He says it's patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't seek its own way, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. As another campus minister said, love is a giver, but lust is a taker. As 1 John says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Love is selflessness, right? Love is self-sacrifice. Love is seeking the good of somebody else before your own. So what is your posture towards the person you're dating? Or is the question you ask, what can they do for me? What can I get from you? Or how can I serve you? How can I care for you? How can I build you up? How can I consider your needs as more important than my own? Love seeks the good of the other person even if that means the other person's good is somebody other than you, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. What would it look like to date in a way that promotes peace, not confusion or anxiety or fear, right? So often when we hear peace, we think the opposite is like conflict, but I I think more often um, the opposite of peace is not necessarily conflict, but just like confusion and anxiety and fear, Um. When it comes to the interactions with the person you're dating, or somebody you could date, right, as you're like in that talking phase, uh, one big thing comes to mind, clarity. Um, this is gonna date me, but um, one of my favorite shows is Seinfeld. Not Steinfeld, um, not Steinfeld, Seinfeld. Um, and if you've seen the show, you know that Elaine Bennis is a little bit crazy, but also just like speaks her mind. Uh, And there's one episode where she's crushing hard on this dude at her fitness center. And he's on like the Stairmaster or something. And she goes up and she stands next to him and she's chatting him up a little bit. And then, you know, he asks like, are you waiting to use the machine? He's like, yeah, but I just want to talk to you. And then he's done with the machine and he gets off and he walks away. And she is so excited because he didn't wipe his sweat off of the machine. Right? Like he didn't spray it down or towel it off. And so like she uses the machine and then she goes and tells Jerry and George, it's like, He wants me to have his pheromones. Like, she's so excited about the nasty condition that he left this machine in. Next day, two days later, something else, they're at the fitness center again, right? And she's chatting him up while he's on the Stairmaster, and he says, hey, I'm a little thirsty. Can I have a sip of your water? And she hands him her water bottle. He unscrews the lid, and then he takes it, and he wipes the lid of the water bottle before he takes a drink, and she's horrified, right? It's like don't you want my mouth on your mouth? Like, aren't we going to swap spit when we kiss? Like, why, why is it okay for me to touch your sweat, but you not to touch my spit? 
and this is what you guys do in dating and approaching dating, right? Because have you ever gotten a text message from somebody you're interested in or curious about and read it more than three times, right? Or analyze like, there should be more exclamation points in this. Why did he use that emoji instead of this one, which is obviously more appropriate, right? Or have you ever had an interaction with somebody that you're interested in that's a little bit confusing, and so you run to your friends, and in committee, you try and figure out what that interaction meant, right? This is what you guys do. Agonize over text, text messages, like, what did he mean? Is she into me? Were they flirting with me? Or am I just, like, seeing what I want to see? What if, here's a crazy thought, what if... What you actually said was what you were thinking about the other person, and you said it to that person, right? Not, like, not to everybody else, but, like, to them, right? Guys, what if, like, you went on a date with a girl, and at the end you said, hey, this was really fun. Can I call you again? And she didn't have to wonder, like, is this going to happen again? Girls, what if you told him, like, hey, it's been really fun becoming your friend. Like, do you want to hang out sometime, like, just the two of us and get to know each other a little better? Or like, hey, thanks so much for asking me on a date, but I don't see anything romantic happening here. Like, what if, what if you did that? Wouldn't it be something if you didn't have to wonder how the other person was thinking about you and you didn't have to spend all this time and energy analyzing, like, the minutia of text messages? Like, think of how much homework you could get done if all of your time wasn't taken up analyzing, like, your interactions on texting and like Snapchat and just all the different ways that you guys have to communicate with and ignore each other. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is peace, okay? The fruit of the Spirit is patience and self-control. What would it look like to date in a way that's patient? Uh, here's something that it doesn't look like. Um, Eva gave me permission to share this story. Uh, she worked at a summer camp one summer, and there was this boy there that she was, like, curious about, and she was pretty sure that he was into her. Uh, and so, like... Towards the end of the summer, they were approaching the end of camp season. He asked, like, hey, can we talk? And they went and had a conversation on a bench that she later learned was referred to as the DTR bench. Um, and she thought she was going to get asked to ice cream, right? Like, apparent, I guess there was an ice cream place close to camp that everybody went to, and he wanted to, you know, she hoped he wanted to take her on a date there. Or maybe she was terrified that he wanted to take her on a date there. I don't know. He didn't get all the details. Um, what he actually said was, like, hey, I'd like you to be my girlfriend, and I'm thinking about moving to Billingham, which is where she lives, so that, like, we can go on some dates and get to know one another, right? That's not patience in dating. Uh, guys, uh, yeah, you can ask her more about that later. Guys, when you ask a girl out on a date and she says yes, do you know what she has said yes to? One date, right? Don't plan your lives together when she agreed to go on a Sonic run with you. Okay? <laughs> Girls, when a guy asks you out on a date and you say yes, do you know what you've said yes to? One date. You are not obligated to go on multiple dates with him, right? Going on one doesn't mean you have to say yes to number two. But at the same time, don't let your mind go to like, what are our kids going to look like on the first date, right? Date with patience. More than just that, it means that you pursue patience and self-control and resisting that urge that is like so natural and instinctual to prematurely knit your emotional and spiritual and physical lives together. Patience in dating means that you don't pretend you're married before you're married. Fruit of the Spirit is patience. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. What does it look like for joy to impact the way that we date? 
Well, for one, I think it means that you should be dating somebody because you want to date that person, not because you want to be dating anybody, right? Like you should enjoy that specific person, not just the idea of having a person, right? If there's no joy when you think about that other person, like no butterflies in the tummy, no attraction, no um, Liz Lemon and 30 Rock, her phrase was always like, I want to go to there, right? Um, it was usually about cheese, but she said it about guys too. If there's none of that there, like maybe don't date the person, okay? You should actually like them. But also, it means that if your dating relationship has gone on for a while and all you do is fight, or you're always frustrated with the other person, or you get the sense that the other person is always frustrated with you, maybe it's time for that relationship to be done, right? Because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Um, there's more that we could talk about with those. I want to jump back a little bit to some of the works of the flesh. Not as fun, but we should talk about it. Um, verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, sensuality. We'll talk more next week about the Bible's sexual ethic, just as a heads up. Um, so I'll see half of you next week. Um, <laughs> but one question that people always wonder, sometimes work up the courage to ask me, is like, how far is too far, right? Like, what can we do while we're dating? How far can we go before I need to start feeling guilty about what we've done, right? What can we do now without having to knit together our lives in marriage? Um, unpopular opinion time. Uh, while the Bible encourages and even commands at times showing affection to one another, right? Not just to somebody you're interested in um, in a dating relationship, but between any friends and family within the people of God. The Bible encourages and commands affection. At the same time, though, it reserves arousal for a man and a woman in the safety and security of marriage. So, when you're dating, yes, absolutely, show affection towards one another. But avoid those actions and activities and situations that lead to arousal. And I can't give you specific rules on that, right? Like, number one, it's unclear, but also number two, like, I just probably shouldn't. Um, but I don't think you need specific rules there because your body knows the difference, right? Remember, love is seeking the other's good before your own. And so are you loving the person you're dating by avoiding situations, by, by aiding them in their pursuit of holiness in line with the Bible's sexual ethic? Affection is good, arousal, patience, okay? Uh, finally, verse 20, envy, jealousy, a lot of things that we could talk about here, really just like some food for thought. Um, are you envious of the other person's time? Like so much so that you get resentful when they spend time with their friends and not you. Um, if you're single, are you envious of other people's relationships? If you're in a relationship, are you doing things that like there's a pretty good chance are going to make other people envious of your relationship? Um, yeah, lots of different ways that envy and jealousy can come in to dating. Um, could be a good topic for community groups. What, what are some ways that people... Uh, develop envy or jealousy or what are ways that it manifests in your dating relationship. All right, we'll go off those awkward things. Uh, back to definitions. <coughs> Excuse me. Dating, two friends trying to figure out if they should get married. And if you've been dating for a while and the answer isn't a clear no, how do you then figure out if the answer is yes, right? Uh, two questions I think you need to consider. Uh, the first one I think is obvious, but might not be. Um, do you want to marry that person, right? Like, do you like them, or do you just want to be married? Are you just comfortable, or do you really enjoy the person and want to knit your lives together more? 
That's a question really for you to answer, right? Other people can, can give you insight into your heart and your mind in that, um, that area, but it's a really personal question, right? But, but sometimes I feel like people just feel like they should get married to that person even though they're like not, not 100% in it. Um, that's probably a bad idea. But it's also not the only question, right? Because sometimes we go the other way, right? And say, I want to get married to this person, so therefore the answer is yes. I think it would be really wise for you to ask a second question. Should you marry this person? And for that, you need to look back at the lists in Galatians 5. Does this person evidence more of the works of the flesh in their life or more of the fruit of the Spirit? Are they angry all the time? Are they uncontrolled in their anger? That is not someone that you want to, like, be on a road trip with in your minivan with your kids in the back seat, right? Is their life marked by sensuality and indulgence and drunkenness? You want someone who's going to be self-controlled and patient. Are they joyful? Are they kind? Are they gentle? Not just to you, but to your friends and to their own friends. Do they speak well of other people? You see, what you're looking for is their character, And I'm not saying that all of the fruit of the Spirit need to be there 100% for you to say, yes, I should marry this person, right? That would actually be a pretty ridiculous thing to expect of somebody in their 20s. But are those things there, at least in seed form, right? Have they taken root and are they growing in the person's life? Because the character of the person that you marry matters a whole lot more than their hobbies, matters a whole lot more than their, like, current taste in movies and music, right? Speaking as one who's, like, 15 years, well, more than that, um, 15-ish years out of college, um, your taste in music might actually not change that much. I still basically listen to the same music I did in college. Um, But a lot of other things about me have changed. But you're looking for character, right? Because character is the thing that is going to not just stay consistent, but, but you want to grow and develop and mature in a Godward direction. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, has this great line where he says, um, he's been married like 50 years when he wrote this, uh, and he said, my wife Kathy has been married to four different men in the past 50 years, and they've all been named Tim Keller. And what he meant by that was like he, over the course of his life, has gotten interested in new things, and and old hobbies have kind of lost their luster, and different situations of life had led to just different aspects of his personality coming out. In other words, like we grow and change and become different people. And that's good, right? We grow towards Christ and towards Christ's likeness. The question is, is that character there to keep the person consistent, to keep the person faithful to the promises they make to you in marriage? And and I think that this is where that mini marriage model of dating, that fear-based model of dating actually does a disservice Because in binding somebody with rules and expectations and assumptions, I think you lose out on the opportunity to see that character come out. Uh, Also, the second question, should I marry this person? This is not a question for you to answer by yourself, right? You have to ask your friends. You have to ask trusted mentors, whether they're parents or pastors or your RUF intern or your counselor or anybody. Like, you have to ask people, what do you think about this person I'm dating? What do you think about our relationship? And you need to listen to them and consider what they say, right? Especially if they say something negative. Because if they say something negative, your impulse is to say, it's like, well, you don't know them like I do. It's like, yeah, but 
you don't know them like they do, right? They observe them, like, not through these rose-colored butterflies-in-the-stomach glasses. Like, they just observe them interacting with other human beings. Listen to them. What that means is that you need to resist the urge to disappear into a relationship, right? It's another symptom of the mini-marriage. We all know those people, right? We all have those friends. Maybe it's you, right? The minute you start dating somebody, like, you just don't know anybody else, right? You're always together, and you're always together without anybody else. Look, ideally, your spouse is going to be your best friend and your closest friend for the rest of your life. But I promise you, you don't want them to be your only friend for the rest of your life. And you don't want to be your spouse's only friend for the rest of your life and their life. Uh, One of the ways that I seek to love my wife is by making space in our life for her to spend time with other adults who are not me, right? So, like, I'll watch the kids one morning while she goes to a Bible study with some women from church, or one evening while she goes to a book club that she does with some women from church. Um, Or there have been times where, like, hey, I'll keep the kids for a weekend. You go to Charlotte, spend time with your really, really close friend who's your maid of honor, right, best friend. Go have a girl's weekend. One of the ways that she loves me is giving me the freedom to spend time with other adults who aren't her, right? Every other week, give or take, I meet with a group of men from our church to get to know one another, to hang out, to tell stories, laugh, pray for one another. Every year, I take a long weekend away to get together with my college roommates for hiking, really good food, disc golf, lots of dorky board games, right? That's not because we don't want to be around each other. It's not because me and Trish are sick of each other, right? Like, we actually don't get as much time together as we like because we have five tiny humans that we're trying to keep alive. It's because we recognize that, like, I am not enough to meet my wife's needs, and she is not enough to meet all of mine. I know the temptation to make the person you're dating your entire world, right? And I know that you want to be around them all the time. I get it. But give one another the freedom, maybe even give one another the expectation that you're not only going to know one another. Date in community, not in a vacuum. And listen to the wisdom that God speaks to you through other people who love you and want the best for you and know you, especially if those people are believers. And above all, keep from looking to the person you're dating to give you everything you need. They can't, right? And even if they become your spouse, they still won't be able to. Right, we skipped over in the works of the flesh, right there at the beginning of verse 20, idolatry. Idolatry is giving your worship to something or someone other than God and looking to that for salvation, for significance, for rest, fulfillment, security, for life. And guys, your boyfriend or girlfriend can't do that. Your husband or your wife can't do that. Marriage itself can't do that. Don't run into marriage because you think it's going to fix you and fulfill you. Marriage doesn't save you. Only Jesus can. Dating won't save you. Only Jesus can. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, none of it can save you. Only Jesus can. And if you're a Christian tonight, Jesus has. Right? He has already saved you. You are his. Right? The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. We belong to him, and nothing can snatch us out of our hands. So lean into that. Rest in that. Point your boyfriend or your girlfriend and your husband and your wife to him not to yourself, and let his perfect love for you drive out fear. Because as you rest in that, as you rest in him, you'll find that he's the one who is growing and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And he's the one who's pruning away the works of the flesh. He's freeing you to enjoy 
singleness or dating or marriage or whatever God brings into your life. He's freeing you to receive them as gifts from a loving God who has already given you all you need and more in Christ Jesus. Rest in him and just enjoy the freedom that you have to date without fear. Whether or not that person ends up as your spouse or not, like you can enjoy and get to know them without fear and date from a place of love, not from a place of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the gift of Christ who has loved us so well and so fully um, despite ourselves, despite our failures, despite our rebellion. Uh, Father, we confess uh, that we are fearful about many things. Uh, it's so much easier uh, and even instinctual to be fearful and to want to, to claim, uh, to manipulate, uh, to wonder, to ask, to, to play games. Father, I pray that the, the students here in their dating lives would be marked more by the fruit of the Spirit um, than marked by fear. That they would date in a way that's love-shaped, not fear-shaped. Guard them from the temptation uh, to enter into many marriages and, and crush their relationship with the weight of expectation. Father, I pray that above all you would help us to see Christ loving us. Trust that it's in his goodness that he gives us all things. Whether that's singleness or whether that's dating now or sometime in the future, I pray that we would all rest knowing that we're held in the hands of a loving God and a loving Father. In his name we pray. Amen.